Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Banker Podcast, where we will be looking at getting to the top of the banking industry. I'll be talking to senior bankers and discussing their career progression and the challenges they faced. I'm Burhan Kabai, Europe Editor at the Banker, and I'm joined by Kirsty Morris, Managing Director of Specialist Sales and Commercial Strategy at Barclays, and Sarah Courtney Dockett, Senior Private Banker at City. I'm just interested in your journey, Kirsty, to um, this episode is called Getting to the Top of uh, the Banking Industry. So really want to talk to you about your career progression and the challenges and the advice you'd give. So firstly, yeah, could, could you sort of explain what your journey's been like, your route in banking? It was a little bit by mistake, to be honest. Um, I had great ambitions to be a geologist working for the USGS at some point um, when I was at school. So I didn't particularly see myself as a banker. Um, and in nearly 24 years in, I still, I'm not sure I think of myself as a banker, um, but but I am, and I have been for nearly 24 years. I got offered a job um, temping. I was actually offered two roles. It was before I went to university. Um, and I had temping at another bank and temping at Barclays. And Barclays actually paid temping more an hour, so that swung it. So that's how I ended up at Barclays. Decided to stay, took on a permanent role, um, literally was making tea in my first role. Um, Realised that there was an opportunity in the organisation to career progress and have a life as well. Um, and so I stayed. And I guess the rest is history, 24 years down the line, here we are. Banking obviously wasn't your initial goal really was it though? it wasn't my initial first choice but you know I've been really lucky that I've been able to explore lots of different roles you know it's not just like a, a sort of single uh, monoline career that I've had mm. you know I've worked as being a bit of a you know sort of tech geek in, in the payment space I've done relationship management I've done sales I've done marketing and proposition I've done um, program work on you know m- massive huge tech delivery programs so it's not really like having one career and being a banker for 24 years you know it's, it's great to have a career that you've been able to progress over the years and do different things and learn different skills so how old were you when you first joined Barclays was it straight after school 17 I'd uh, yeah just done my A-levels and I was taking a gap year Planned to go to Oxford Brooks to do geology. That was my plan. As I say, I was big into rocks. And uh, yeah, I started working to earn a bit of money before I went and never left. So you didn't go to university. What was the reason behind that? Yeah, lots of, I guess, personal reasons. Um, My mum and dad uh, weren't particularly from an affluent background. Going to cost a lot of money for me to go. Um, My mum and dad had bought a pub as well at a similar time. And I was helping them quite a lot um, working. So being away from home is going to be hard. So I just decided it was, you know, I could do it later if I really, really wanted to. But there was more important things um, for me personally and my family at the time. And I was I was enjoying working at Barclays on Barclaycard as I started at the time. And yeah, so I, I saw an opportunity to stay and, you know, build a slightly different life for myself. What was your first role? You said you were exposed to different areas in banking. Obviously, you've, you've, you've progressed quite um, quite well in different areas. But what was your yeah, what was the first sort of, I guess, permanent job in Barclays? So my very first job was um, technical management support. So I worked in the, so you remember the PDQ machines, you know, sort of the traditional take a car payment machines, less fancy than they are today. So I'm going a little bit back now. Uh, We even had zip zaps still in the office uh, when I started. I used to um, reset Mac codes. So occasionally they'd go, they'd sort of go skewiffy. And um, corporate customers, so customers taking payments, would ring our call centre and ask for them to be fixed. And the call centre agent would ring me and ask me to reset the code. So I spent most of the day just like typing in a ID number, pressing reset, reset, and then trying to help fault fix and 
fix things in, in codes on transactions, which is great because if I look at what I do now, you know, I, I started at the bottom. I really understand how the payments infrastructure hangs together and that really helps me. How did you get the job at Barclays? Did you just apply there? It was an internship, wasn't it? First it was um, yeah. agency. Okay. So I actually started working through a deco. Uh, as I say, it was just an agency role temping. Yeah. And then I was, after seven months, I think it was, I got offered a permanent role as a B1 yeah. at the time, as it was called, which is sort of bottom grade in banking. I applied and got the job. And, and you stayed since. What made you stay at banking for so long? And even, well, banking first and then Barclays, but because obviously that wasn't your first um, career ambition. You mentioned geologists and rocks. Um, so what made you stay at banking for so long? From the outset, I was in payments, um, which I still am a bit of a payments geek, honestly. It's a fascinating space to be in. And over the sort of 20 years that I've been in payments, there's been huge, you know, seismic changes in the payment space, which has been mm. interesting. So it's kept me really interested. Um, I think I saw an opportunity to have a career. Uh, I found out early on that I was probably quite, quite good at sales and relationship and commerciality maybe it comes from my dad being a market trader and then a publican but sort of seeing businesses work from the ground up and understanding you know just basic sort of economics of business um I realized that I could I could apply a lot of that knowledge and it, it was something that I could take through banking and payments I also have always really liked the fact that banking and payments is really in the fabric of of you know, the economy. It's it's huge. Yeah. It's part of everyone's life. Everyday life. It is. Yeah. You know, it's something that matters to everybody. You know, over the years, I've had loads of debate with family and friends about different aspects of payments and banking because everyone does have an opinion on it. Um, so I guess that's why I stayed. The, the reason I stayed at Barclays all these years is because they've afforded me the opportunity to have a family. Um, yeah, I'm really, really lucky. Three beautiful children and a new puppy. So that's um, fascinating and exciting. Uh, not at all hard work. Um, <laughs> uh, so I've had, you know, I've had a really great work-life balance. I've also yeah. been, you know, I feel like I've played my part in changing some of the, um, I guess, some of the DNI agenda, particularly in, in the payment space and the journey that I've been on. Um, and that's been a really important part for me of starting to give quite a bit back. So and that, they're all the reasons that I've stayed in Barclays and, and not really, you know, seen a better opportunity outside than the one that I have and what I'm doing in yeah. the organisation I'm in. I guess it can be quite challenging having a family, trying to pursue a career. What was most challenging about sort of managing that work-life balance for you? Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying if I said it at times it hadn't been really hard. It has. Um, you know, there have been points in my career, particularly when my children were really, really young, um, trying to manage, um, you know, sort of three, four-year-old and, and commuting to Canary Wharf. I live in um, Northampton. Um, and actually, you know, I came back to Northampton to work in, in a different role and found out I was pregnant with my second daughter, which, you know, then have real mum guilt and work worry. Um, but my boss at the time was absolutely fantastic you know real I guess part of that journey that Barclays has been on um you know as I've gone through those maternity leaves I've got let's say three children um you know it's been fully supported you know I felt fine about going off and coming back and actually when I came back after my second daughter um this was in I think my second director role and I think I was a female sales director, um, which at the time it was a you know, relatively male dominated space, you know, sales and sort of relationship management. 
So being a female sales director was a really important role for me. Um, and my boss who brought me back to do that role, and it was, you know, very clear um, signal to a lot of the female sales team um, that there was opportunity to progress your career. And as I came back, I found out I was pregnant, which made it even more real. You know, it made it okay. Um, so actually, I was really proud of, of how that all played out. But when I came back, I had proper mum guilt. Um, and what I found helped me quite a lot, and I think it helped a lot of the people that um, I worked with at the time as I talked about it. I didn't shy away from it. You know, I was really honest when people asked me how I was doing. I said, honestly, I feel really guilty that I want to be at home with my baby. Um, and I think in a lot of ways it helped me deal with it, but it also... Um, it made a lot of the female colleagues around me feel like it was okay to express how they really felt. And for me, that's a really important part of embracing D&I because if people aren't prepared to talk about it or um, be exposed, then no one else thinks it's okay. Was it ever daunting or challenging being in a male-dominated space? No. Mm. I guess if I'm really honest, um, I probably um, relish the challenge. Um, and look, you know, I've been in, in sales for many years and have walked into many situations um, in a you know, significant corporate meetings where I've been the only woman. Um, and there's been times where you're instantly judged when you walk through the door. Um, this isn't in, in Barclays, by the way, just in, in you know, other organisations. Um, and in some ways, that's just, uh, you know, that's just an opportunity for me to prove why I'm in the room and why I deserve to be there. So I won't say it's been difficult it's been something I've been aware of and it's changed so massively I mean particularly over the last 10 years it's just not it's not the same as it once was but I wouldn't say it ever really phased me or stopped me doing what mm. I wanted to do it's what drove you instead exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, what about um not coming from a university background were you ever sort of perceived differently did that, did that make you work harder or was, what was that like yeah absolutely there's been times where I felt really mm. Um, I guess a little bit exposed because I can't say that I've got a degree, but self-reflection is that I have got experience. You know, I understand how our business works from the ground up. Um, there's very few people that work all the way up through the organisation. So I bring something different. And for me, you know, particularly with diversity and inclusion, it's about diversity of thought. So I'm not just Kirsty. I'm not just a woman in a senior role in a bank. I'm also, you know, from a working class background. I didn't go to university. You know, I've learned our business from the bottom up. Um, so I bring something different to the table in, it, from a perspective and an understanding and experience that I wouldn't have been able to bring if I had have gone a different path. So I guess I felt exposed at times, but I found a way personally to accept that and still feel like I haven't got imposter syndrome and that I deserve to be in the room that I'm in at the time. So what were the other roles you got, you know, in between starting out as an intern to now? Yeah, so I, I kind of did, as I say, you know, very much down on the ground, payment space, um, call centre, you know, fixing faults with um, PDQ machines. Um, then I went into um, supporting our large corporate businesses. So I wasn't um, an account manager, if you like, but I was one of the support people. So I was sort of second line. Um and then over time, I moved into um, doing a sales job. So the most junior one and looking after customers. And, you know, that was just such a great time in my life. I love, love customers, love going out, speaking to people, you know, love um, negotiating and doing the deal still. Um, so I did that for a few years, at all different levels. 
And then I moved into my first director role was um, piecing together different parts of the Barclay card payments ecosystem with large corporates. So like just a handful. But that was quite groundbreaking. So that was a really different way of thinking non-siloed. So instead of thinking about one part of payments and then a different part of the banking space and then issuing businesses, and we pulled that all together. Um, so that was really interesting. And what that did is expose me to lots of different parts of the organisation. So that was fantastic. Um, I really enjoyed that role. And then I came back into payments um, to, as I said, first sort of female sales director in the, the sort of corporate payment space. Um, and I did lots of different things in there. I built some of our partnerships function. I built a support team. Um, so did that for a, a few years. Uh, and then I actually went out to do... Um, I was the sort of colleague and customer lead on a major transformation program um, within within Barlicar Payments. So that was huge. And that was a couple of years. And I learned so much from that. Never anything I would be like desperate to do again. Um, it's really, really hard, you know, running a sort of um, technology program with um uh, with other with other consultants and being that sort of customer and colleague face into that. It was really, really tough. Um, but yeah, learned tons. Uh, then I came back into the sort of payment sales space and looked after our corporate book for a few years, did that for a few years and actually did that going into COVID, which was really tough. So it was a scale leadership role, um, looking after all of our, our corporate payments customers and, you know, t trying to take customers through that period where, you know, it was tough for them and it was you know moving colleagues into totally itinerant roles. Um, so trying to manage a, a sizable team, it was a huge challenge and a very different challenge. Um, but, you know, we got through that really, really well. Um, and then the last you know year or so, I've been building out um, sort of slightly different functions. So um, as an MD now, I, I run a sort of specialist sales, so everything non-standard in the payment space, a lot of the innovation and tech, uh, commercial strategy, um, and proposition sort of go to market. So slightly different again. You mentioned about, you know, women are perceived in banking. I guess that's applicable to other industries as well. Um, and people from non-university backgrounds. Could you sort of explain a bit more about that? I can talk about Barclays yeah. specifically. Um, I've never been judged, if you like, in any of my roles um, for anything other than what I bring to the table, which, you know, hopefully is still really relevant and useful. You know, I've always seen um, in our organisation trying to surround the right people around the right tables to solve the right problems you know that if I think about the group that I work with now there's people from all different backgrounds and and like I said to you before it's diversity of thinking you know I think we can be too quick to label people and put them in a box that's not who they are you know there's so much more and actually where you get diversity of thought is far beneath what you can see at face value um, so yes you know I'm a woman yes you know I'm a mum but, you know, most people won't necessarily see that I understand, you know, transactional banking flows, you know, better than most people in the room because of the fact that I've been in the business for 24 years. So um, I think we're seeing more and more of it is far more accepting and it's far more considered. You know, if I think about the way um, Barclays have positioned, um, you know, male allies to females, the race at work ambitions, you know, publishing the gender pay gap and actually the appreciation of what that all really means and the fact that it is a journey. It doesn't change overnight. But I see I see it so differently. And I feel I feel really proud to have been through my journey. I've got two daughters um, and a son, you know, and they'll all have their own challenges when they start working. Um, very different, I'm sure, to ours are. But I feel really proud of the fact that, you know, 
work is a different place for my children than what it was maybe when I started. And I feel really proud to have been a part of that. And what more would you like to see done? Is it is there still, I mean, I guess there's still more improvements that can be done. What, what would you like to see? Yeah, look, I think there's always more to be done. Mm. Um, I think it's always a delicate balance um, between doing more, um, but doing it in the right way. Um, as a woman, I never wanted to get a job because I was a woman. Um, I want to get the job because I'm the damn right person for it. And so I think it, it takes time. And I think, you know, it's unrealistic to expect anything but because if it doesn't take time, that's probably not being done in the right way. So I think for me, it's a continuation of what I've seen start to happen and, and that to continue. I encourage continually when I speak to people about this topic to think about that intersectionality, to think about it's not just one person's not in one box. You know, what makes me me and you you is so much more than, you know, what you might get in the first five minutes of seeing somebody. Um, and, you know, the diverse, diversity of thinking is so much more valuable to an organisation than sometimes I think, you know, particularly 20 years ago, organisations realised. Because if you look out to any business, particularly that faces into consumer or even corporates, right, because corporates are still run by people, um, is it has to represent, you know, where we are, our society. Um, and if it doesn't, then you're going to be disconnected to the people that you're trying to, um, you know, service. I guess. So I think it's what more would I like to see done? I just think, you know, constantly acknowledging that point that it's not everyone's not in one box. Are you happy with how your career's progressed? Have you got any, any regrets? As I sit here now, I don't have any regrets. I um, at times in my career, I have. Um, and that's mainly just impatience. Um, you know, I did take time out to have three children. And at times I've been, well, I could have got to MD quicker if I hadn't of, you know, some of my peers got there sooner than me because they didn't. Um, and I've had those moments, you know, and again, I'm completely transparent, um, which is my style. Um, you know, yes, I've had moments where I've felt really aggrieved by that. But then I've sat and I've looked at my kids and gone, it just doesn't compare, does it? Mm. You know, yes, yes. I've, You know, I have probably um, put pause on my career at points in my life um, and now I wouldn't change it for the world. So, Sarah, thanks very much for joining me. How are you? Great, thanks. Pleasure to be here. It's actually my first podcast. Firstly, Sarah, talk to me about your your journey in banking. Have you been in private banking your whole career? Uh, not initially, but most of it, I have to be honest. Um, but interestingly, kind of, I first decided I wanted to be to be in banking. I didn't know to be a private banker when I was 17. I'd finished my A-levels and my brother was actually working at Citibank Global Asset Management, a, a business we've now sold. And um, they needed a temp to physically input the FX rates. And he said, look, do you want to come in? They pay quite well. It'd be a great summer job before university. And that was my first intro into banking. And I just loved the summer. I just thought, you know, the buzz, the people, the environment, kind of commuting in. I thought, this is the world I like. I didn't know what aspect, but I thought this is what I want to aim to do when I leave university. So what, what was it that sort of um, sold you to banking? What was it the part that what was it, was it about banking that you I think it was liked? the diversity of all the different roles because gradually then over my summers um, I actually didn't get the grades I wanted and um, I got BCE and I thought well, this is going to be a problem getting into any banking um, graduate program. Um, so I made sure over every summer, Christmas, Easter, I always had work in a bank. So sometimes it would be an informal internship. You know, this was, you know, 25 years ago. Um, and largely I would do that at, at Citibank Global Asset Management. But that, uh, then over other times I would work at Schroeder's and, and UBS. I worked in financial control. 
And I just thought there is a job here for everyone. You know, um, I was a PA to the CIO one Christmas. I worked in the compliance department. I was in HR for a bit. I always liked front office and I wanted the interaction with clients. And I kind of thought that's the direction I want to go in. So after university, what was your first job at? At JP Morgan, yeah. Oh, was that private banking? No, it wasn't oh, okay. actually. Because um, because of the grades, I had built up, you know, by the time I... I so I got my T1 in politics and social psychology at Loughborough, stayed on and did a master's. All of that was kind of planned because I was thinking, I want to get a graduate placement at a top tier bank, mm. but I need to make up for my A-level grades. And um, through doing all that work experience, you know, without actually taking any time off from university, by the time I was 21, I had one year's work experience under my belt. And so I applied to a raft of um, banks and um, just loved JP Morgan and actually got fast tracked through the process. They couldn't believe I'd managed to accumulate one year's work experience without actually having taken time off. So got faster tracked through the process, didn't have to do the kind of, you know, the group games and all of that and um, was offered a placement on their cross-business, um, middle office, back office um, program. So that was kind of my first um, entry in and that's what I did for, you know, two and a half years. And what was it like when you first came into banking? Um, I, I guess you probably had some inkling of what the what banking was like, the culture from your um, work experience and internships, but what were your first impressions when you first joined JP Morgan after university? Well, it was quite an exciting time because my very first day was the day they announced the merger with Chase. And I'm thinking, well, what mm. does this mean for me? And so we were supposed to be going down to Victoria Embankment for our training, but, you know, obviously the press and everything was all over the merger. So we ended up going to um, just around the corner from here on Poultry, actually. We did some training in one of the, uh, uh, the kind of offices you can hire. And I really loved it. I met a fantastic group of people, people I'm still friends with now. And I walked in and thought, what a really global, diverse business. So on my graduate scheme, I was probably, you know, one of the youngest, as you know, in the UK, even with a master's, you can finish university at 21. But on this graduate scheme, we had people from all across um, Europe, Middle East and Africa, all different ages, all different walks of life. And a lot of the people I met on that day are still my friends today. And then when I entered in, it was um, to, to a back office role in asset management in transition. And I thought it was just fantastic. And one of the projects I got given to do in that particular placement was um, the year before we'd rolled out Euro and that we were now doing the Greek drachma. And they were like, you can run that project. And obviously the, the template from the Euro had already been set. But I thought, this is amazing. I'm going to speak to the head of fixed income, the head of equities, you know, and running this project. And I thought, I love this. I, you know, still want to be client facing, but I, I'm going to have lots to learn. And everyone I met, I was just really, really impressed with. And I just felt so kind in that they would spend their time to make sure I was able to do my job well. Oh, great. I mean, you mentioned about the diversity. I think that's quite a, an interesting point because banking has always been, even today, there's questions about the diversity of banking. Was that typical for JP Morgan or was that sort of the the, the, the particular scheme you're on or... Um, it, I would say there was approximately one third females. Mm. I think it was the diversity of people from different countries and languages and, and culture. Um, but back to your, your your point on maybe female diversity, um, definitely back then, I think it was around 30% in terms of if I look around my peers and, and other banks. I think banks have improved dramatically. Um, I know that when I look at the private banking um, graduates we now take on, it's 100% 50-50. And I think a couple of years, it was actually 60-40. So I think in terms of diversity, and getting graduates into private banking and banking more broadly. I think there's been a lot of work done in, in the 22 years I've been working.
what have you seen change then over the over the years you've been in banking and private banking has it has it always been diverse or has it been is it, is it now improving and what, what what changes have you seen I definitely think it's improving and I think you know it's always working progress um one thing I definitely think that will help women remain in banking because I I think now as an industry we do a really good job of, get, of getting graduates in what I would like to see more broadly across the industry is getting women up from the middle ranking and having more um senior females, senior MDs, um, and, you know, having more role models. A lady called Edwina Dahn of the Female Lead says you can't be what you can't see. And, you know, we're really proud at City. We have Jane Fraser, you know, first mm-hmm. female CEO of a Wall Street bank. Ida Lou, third female global um, private bank head. But I just think we've got to keep working on it. And it's and I would say it's that senior, sorry, middle tier women that we really need to, to, to move up the chain. And I think one aspect, which is a societal aspect, is more affordable childcare, if I'm honest. Mm. I think the industry is doing a lot in terms of, you know, um, targets, transparency of of, of pay. And again, we we need to keep working on that. But at least for having targets is something to work towards and to measure. But I think I think the affordable access to childcare is a really key issue. If I look at my own personal journey, um, I've had my two children at, at City and the first time around, you know, first child went to nursery and then I had a bit of a gap. But when I was having, you know, going back to work of child number two, the only real option available to me was a nanny because of the school drop off times and the particular school he was in. He couldn't go into breakfast club or after school club because he was in reception. Mm. And so luckily enough, I was able to afford that. But I think to get keep and retain more women in the workforce, access to affordable childcare is, is really key. Mm, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, you mentioned about Jane Fraser being the CEO. Since Jane's been uh, at the helm of City, have you seen you know changes in place and uh, a more sort of promotion of diversity of women and of other cultures, a, a big sort of shift? Well, I mean, Jane Fraser speaks openly about being, you know, about empathy, being a bank with a soul. And what I'm pleased to say is that a lot of the great work was already in progress. One of the things that we did, you know, five years ago in the private bank in EMEA at City was we set up a a female network. And the reason was, um, particularly some of the senior females, we were having a lot of conversations in the toilets. I'm not joking. People were saying, how have you got your flexible working arrangement? How did you come back from maternity leave? And we thought, this is ridiculous. We need to take the conversations out of, you know, having a conversation around a basin and um, and create forums. So we set up our um, a female network with three key pillars, really. The first is, you know, the um, recruitment, promotion and retention of our own female talent. The second is a focus on, you know, Ida Lutko talked about the family. So not just next gen, but the spouses, be they male or female. And then also thirdly, kind of PR and brand. You know, we want to be a destination of choice for, you know, females and diverse talent to come and work at, but also we want female clients to feel they have a home with us. And this is the the internal women network that yes. you've created, yeah. uh, which includes the Women in Wealth campaign that you've worked on as well. Yeah. I mean, the Women in Wealth campaign, I think, is absolutely critical. I mean, it's well documented that, you know, women currently control 30% of the world's wealth, and that's growing to 55% by 2030. So uh, all the banking industry needs to be focused on that. But I think, you know, we're not trying to um, to create a particular product or anything like that. It's just making sure, and I, you know, I've spoken to a number of my female clients, and I said, you know, what are your thoughts and what are your experiences? And the experiences vary, are very varied, if I'm honest. 
list. Um, it ranges from, you know, if they inherited the wealth, feeling unprepared, whether they be male or female, you know, the family never talked about wealth. So, you know, what can we do as a bank to help that? So by partnering with external organisations, we have dinners where we address this or podcasts on how to raise responsible and grounded, and grounded um, children. A couple of other women have expressed an interest in learning about finance and in a way to do it that's accessible and relatable to them. Some other women um, have, have said to me, Sarah, I love how you always invite me to your market outlooks and your key... Well, quite frankly, and men have said this to me, I've no interest in that. So it's making sure we have content that is applicable for all and some of that is is fun, some of that is academic, and some of that is the standard, you know, market outlooks you would expect. So I think Ida Lou summarises it really well. You know, we cater for the family, not just, you know, the, the, the person that may have um, generated the source of wealth. What would you say the, the culture is like now then in terms of banking and particularly a few private banking? What, what have been the sort of the main changes you've seen over the years? I've definitely seen more role models, as I've mm, talked about previously, yeah. come into play, which has been phenomenal. I've definitely seen more openness and transparency mm. on promotion and pay. You know, the UK Banking Charter. Mm. You know, these things are now being looked at and they're being addressed. Um, and as I said previously, you know, these you need to have metrics because we will not progress unless actually, you know, um, managers within the businesses and senior leaders are their own success is, is dependent on that. You know, I still think we have a way to go um, in terms of, you know, focusing on, you know, a, particularly a female's journey, you know, fertility issues. You know, I you know, was reading an article before I got here about a woman, you know, who was hiding a pregnancy loss um, her, and a fertility, fertility's issues when she's at work. Um, you know, menopause, you know, now a lot of um, banking organisations have menopause committees because of the, the the various changes that happen to them when they're going through that process and how they can be supported. So we've come a long way, but the journey's not done. Mm. But what more needs to be done? Just more support in the areas I've talked about. Yeah. So um, support for women, you know, in infertility, pregnancy loss, menopause. I think more transparency on um, promotion and pay continues to be... Um, very, very important. I think, you know, all the senior leaderships in all banks realise diversity of talent is key. I think I'd probably like to see more training of our male colleagues and male managers, if I'm honest, in, in the middle ranking, because they've never managed a female um, or diverse talent. I, I think we need to have training programmes to make sure that they are equipped to be able to handle, you know, you know, well, just to have high EQ, to, whether you're managing a woman or a man, just to have high EQ. We've definitely seen more men taking up shared parental leave which is great I'd love to see more I'd also love to someone said to me a very senior woman at an accountancy firm actually said very important we as women don't become like men I'm the youngest of nine. I have a very, you know, loud voice. I was head girl. But I thought it's a really important point. You know, we want each woman to have a voice at the table, regardless of if they're maybe perhaps shyer or more introvert. So it's, it's, it's allowing the industry to respond and see and value those women perhaps with a quieter voice. That's a really, really good point. Um, and now going back to your, your journey in banking. Um, so you talked about how you entered banking at JP Morgan. Um, what were the steps after that? So you, how did you get into private banking and what, what came after that? 
Yeah, leading, sure. leading up to now. So I joined on the cross business um, graduate program, as I said, and first rotation was in an operations back back office role. And then because of the merger with Chase, they wanted some of the JP Morgan graduates to go across and, and work with some of the Chase culture. So I went across um, as one of the first graduates and did a six month rotation in compliance and actually worked on the implementation of the new Financial Services Act. And I enjoyed it. It was diverse, but it was a lot of like Microsoft project, um, lots of meeting with lawyers. And I just missed the buzz and I realised I need more diversity in my day and I do really want to be client-facing. So following that rotation, I went moved back to asset management and actually ended up running a, um, a, a, a bespoke team that outsourced their back office to Bank of New York. So I ran a firefighting team, you know, looking at what had gone wrong in terms of month-end deliverables and working within the business to, to put in a long-term fix. So at a young age, I was running a team. So that was interesting and I'd come in and was a team member and then took a, took a step up. So that was quite an interesting um, journey in leadership. It was around 2003 then at this point, and I really wanted to be client-facing, as I said, but because the tech crisis was on, there wasn't any client-facing roles within asset management. And one of my colleagues who had been on the grad program with me had joined the private bank and said, Sarah, there's a role as a junior private banker. Why don't you apply? So fast forward, got the job, moved across and and loved it. And what I loved about it was, you know, when I was in asset management, we were dealing with very large sums of money, but it was institution sums money. You weren't actually dealing with real people. And then when I got to the private bank, you know, I was having meeting with entrepreneurs and financial professionals who created businesses and had really interesting journeys. And I just thought this, this, this is for me. And I've been in private banking ever since. So um, stayed, became an associate, did my New York training program, thought I could, you know, you know, we always think you can run before you can fly. And lots of banks came knocking around that time in my career. And kind of a learning observation for me there was, I really was very happy, but I felt I was underpaid. But back to some of my learnings is, I didn't have a voice. I didn't go to them and say, do you know what? I think I'm underpaid. Can I have a pay rise? I, I didn't negotiate for myself. Mm. And so I then negotiated with, with City and with Barclays, actually, and then thought I'm a UK bar- banker. I should work for a UK bank. I left and um, became a VP banker at Barclays. And uh, then it was the global financial crisis. Um, so, you know, difficult time for all bankers um, and loved it, worked with clients. But I thought, I think the global financial crisis made me think, You've worked every summer, Christmas, Easter, you've never seen the world. And it was, you know, a very difficult time in markets, but a very happy time professionally as I met my husband and got married during that time period. And I said, listen, this is going to sound crazy, but why don't we quit our jobs and go traveling? Mm. And uh, we did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we literally went around the world for like seven months. I landed back in um, and I knocked on City's door because I thought I really liked the American organization. I'd really liked everyone I met. And I thought... That's where I want to go and work. So I knocked on the door. Thankfully, they agreed to interview me again. I was offered the role to start in January. And then my husband started work. And then I went off to Africa and did seven countries by myself before I came back. You mentioned an interesting point there about um, you felt you were underpaid. Do you think that's an issue why there is a gender gap? Women aren't sort of, you know, they don't have that voice we spoke spoke about here. They're not speaking up with their employers, with banks in this case. From my own personal experience, I haven't actually gone through that. And from, you know, reflecting on it, I do think we use our voice less. Um, I think, you know, particularly one of the things we're doing through the network and through and working with HR now is, you know, making sure we help people manage their own careers and making sure everyone does go in and have that pay conversation. 
from, you know, reflecting on 23 years of experience, I do think men are, are better at asking for pay and also asking for promotion. Um, you know, there's a variety of a number of studies where, you know, and I'm speaking to some colleagues where, you know, they won't raise their hand for a promotion unless they think they can do 100% of it. Whereas, you know, uh, typically, and I know there's a lot of research about this, and men thinks if they can do 80% of it, they'll raise their hand. So a lot to do, there is a lot of work to do on confidence and being our own ambassadors and our own, you know, spokespeople. So I, I, I do think that's one area all business needs to focus on so that everyone has a seat at the table. That's important. And having having role models as well that you can look up to. And then obviously the city, you've got a female head of the private bank and a female CEO as well. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, when you started in private banking at JP Morgan later on, and obviously now over the years at City and Barclays, what have you seen change in private banking? Has, has it, was it always diverse or has that been changed over the years? From my perspective, private banking has always been very diverse. It's okay. a very client-focused business. You know, you're mm. dealing with real people, their actual money. You're not the FD of a large mm. institution. And so you've always needed a diverse team to win. I mean, if I look at the private bank at City, you know, our global workforce, we are 50% female. So I would, and, and, you know, having worked at Barclays and JP Morgan, I would say compared to other areas of the business, private banking has always done better mm. with having more females. What have you found most sort of challenging in your career? Then what were the, some of the biggest sort of, you know, professional obstacles that you've had to face? Yeah, I think some of the first ones we've talked about is was actually not getting my grades at A-levels. Mm. Um, and now that would be a big thing, right? So I managed to get mm. an interview with JP Morgan who I, I, they met me, they yeah. knew who I was. But nowadays for graduates applying, yeah. you know, I, I believe there's automatic deselection, right? They don't even yeah. get to meet anyone because the computer says no, they don't have the right grades. So thankfully I was able to navigate that. Um, and also it's about pivoting because I really wanted a client-facing job in asset management. That was all I knew at the time, but there was just no roles coming up. And I had gone and asked everyone, but no one knew when the headcount was going to um, be unfrozen. We, we didn't know what the business was going to look like or the market's going to look like after the tech crisis. So, you know, using my network and then pivoting to find a client-facing job in, in the private bank was, was um, important. Um I've also mentioned about learning to negotiate and advocate for, advocate for myself in terms of promotion. You know, one of the things um, I realised when I when I left JP Morgan on on reflection, looking back, I was really really happy. I really liked the team and the culture. So I would have probably stayed there longer if I'd used my own voice to to negotiate a pay rise. So using your own voice and being your own ambassador has been something over the years I've I've worked on, um, and that has helped me, you know, overcome obstacles. Um, I would say I'm very fortunate that I've now built up, you know, a, a, a number of peers and mentors and sponsors I can go to. And one of the things is about paying it forward. And, and that's what the, the female network at City is all about. You know, we've set up cohorts, female cohorts at MD, D, SVP and VP to make sure that you have a safe space to talk to other people around EMEA who are going through the similar journey to you, whether it be a life stage or a promotion stage. And then also for us to get feedback back from the workforce so that we can work with our senior leadership. So let me give you an example. When I became director, I got offered amazing leadership programs. I did an eCornell course. I did amazing city programs, and they were phenomenal. And on these programs, I was very lucky to meet uh, women from all around the globe, and I met some very impressive women from in Florida, Tampa. They were running 900 people. And in their particular business, they didn't have many female senior leaderships. And one of the words that I heard a lot from people running large global teams was, it was quite lonely on the journey. There wasn't many females, back to the role, role model point again. And I came away thinking, so we get all this leadership training at D, 
but we really need it down down mm. for the for our younger talent. And so we looked around the business and we we connected with our Latam colleagues who'd run a really successful leadership program from um, AVP, so just under vice president up to director and I said we need to do this in EMEA and so that we got went to our senior leadership Luigi Piccarini who was very very supportive and said listen this is what we were hearing from the cohorts this is our experience that absolutely let's, let's execute it so we've just rolled it out in EMEA and I'm really pleased to say by having a collective voice in the private bank we are now having a global program for all our junior female talent and we're doing specialized training for our managers for, for managing diverse talent so the, the 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 advantage of the network is that collective voice to make change happen uh, great stuff um you, you mentioned there about that nowadays it's you know it's, it's a deselection process looking at grades and sort of numbers and and and, and sort of statistics uh, but in your time you're obviously quite fortunate you utilize your your networking skills and um, to get to get onto the ladder of JP Morgan is that an issue and what can banks do to sort of um, not just look at grades but look at the individuals I think there's a number of different ways we can do that one of the great things we, we've been doing at City is then um, women returners so women who've taken time out of the workforce where, um, not necessarily just for you know childcare reasons it could be you know carer reasons or to try another career I think believe we've run three programs now and um, where we you know Women come into the workforce, they have a six-month placement, which is, is um, and I think City does it really well because I've been to talk to other banks and it wasn't as successful for this main reason. Luigi from the centre took the cost of the, um, the person. So mm. people would, of course, put their hand up for a free resource. Whereas in other um, institutions, which it didn't fare so well, if you have a headcount, are you going to take a more um, experienced person or will you take the risk on the person that's been out of the workforce? So that they found that they weren't recruiting as many women returners. But by doing it this way, I really think that was kind of key to the success. And it's been phenomenal. You know, I have a, an amazing woman that works in my team. She took 20 years out. She raised children, but also she ran a successful business. She's been involved in a multi-million pound charity campaign you know she's come back in the later stages of her career and she is phenomenal and she brings a completely different view to the business than a young graduate walking in off yeah. the street so I think looking at diverse pools of talent is, is definitely one area we also have um, just started um, a social mobility network and thinking how can we recruit so it's by not going to the standard universities it's by setting up intern programs um, by going out to schools and, and finding alternative programs where it isn't just about the degree because they may not have been afforded to be able to go to university mm. yeah that, and that's, that's quite important having a different outlook on um a diversity of thought isn't it a diversity yeah. of experience as well uh that's quite that's quite important i guess the last thing is um if you have any sort of i guess regrets in your career or things you could have done or should have done are there anything that things that come to mind in that respect do you know what? I think I'm very fortunate to say I don't have any regrets. Okay. I've definitely shared lessons I've learned. And mm. if I was to give advice to my younger self, mm. I would say, you know, use your voice, believe in yourself. And, you know, you are capable. You have a seat at that table. So negotiate. Um, I, I have to say I've really enjoyed my time working. I've made a lot of really good friends um, across different banks and different institutions. And I think it's something to say when you wake up in the morning and enjoy going into the office that I'm definitely in the right home and the right place and the right career for me. So that was Kirsty and Sarah talking about their journeys in banking. To listen to more of our podcasts, please visit thebanker.com and other podcast streaming platforms. 